disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. So Congressman Massey is going to join us here in just a couple minutes uh, with his reaction to the president's mandate yesterday on vaccines. Yeah, before we get to that, I, I just want to read you a thing that I wrote on Facebook yesterday about this, because he the president said that it was 80 million people that um, basically haven't been vaccinated, that he was losing his patience with. And he said, we're losing patience, which means that he was essentially inciting half the country against that 80 million people. Um, this is what this is what uh, this is what I said. It's not just 80 million people that Biden is attempting to enforce his unconstitutional will upon. It's 80 million people who have thus far, for whatever personal reasons, managed to resist enormous public and private pressure and endure enormous public insult from the media and virtue signaling from celebrities. Let that sink in again. I'm pro vaccine. But I'm anti-mandate. Do you think these people will all now get in line to get poked because Biden said so? Nothing has changed in terms of the information, or at least in some cases, lack thereof, and misinformation. Fauci and the CDC are still lying and obfuscating the truth. Our government still continues to pretend China and our own tax dollars didn't have a hand in this. And officials and experts continue to defy science and emotionally damage your children by forcing them to mask up. And there is evidence that that is emotionally damaging. I saw some people uh, countering that yesterday saying, oh, that's stupid. That's not happening. No, it is happening. There's evidence to show that it's happening. If you're between the ages of three and seven, you develop your social skills by seeing other people's facial cues. We have removed those facial cues from those children. It is damaging. The media continues to insult, harangue, distort, virtue signal, and call for the deaths and refusal of service to those with legitimate questions. Why do they think anything will change just because Biden gave one more clumsy scripted speech? So long as they continue to hurl insults and invectives and silence any question or debate, all this does is strengthen the resolve of 80 million people who apparently already have resolve in spades in the first place. It's worth noting that if there's 80 million unvaccinated, then there's 250 million or roughly 75 percent of the country already vaccinated, which actually isn't the case. But Biden's numbers were off. At this point, if there's not herd immunity, then there never will be, which means a mandate is pointless. Again, only if they're telling the truth. Biden is a sock puppet, but whoever is pulling his strings is both evil and ill-informed. They don't understand the magnitude of the resistance, or maybe they do and they're planning for it. I don't know. Leadership is what is needed to bring people together. The great American tradition of debate and deliberation are vital to building the unified trust of the American people. This administration and its authoritarian leftists, along with no-nothing unelected bureaucrats, are doing the exact opposite. That is a failure of leadership of enormous magnitudes, perhaps the worst and most dangerous in our nation's history. It doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't. Because, again, I'm not anti-vaccine, but I stand with people who are refusing to get it because of their personal choice. Even if their personal choice is ignorant and ill-informed, we have a right to be so in America. And if the vaccine works, and I believe it does— then you have nothing to worry about with regards to other people's vaccination decisions. It's ridiculous. All right, you can hear my dog whining in the background because he wants to go outside. Anyway, I want to get to our conversation with Congressman Thomas Massey right away. First, though, big thanks to our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops, based in Louisville at 6200 Hit Lane. If you are thinking about redoing your kitchen, if you're thinking about doing a turnkey remodel, 
tearing down some walls, moving around some things, creating that one dream space you've always wanted to make your house its awesome home place, I want you to call Louisville Cabinets and Countertops right now. Michelle, Kelly, George, all standing by to make your dream come true because they are designers on staff and they're ready to help you with that. 502-930-3304. This isn't just me blowing hot air on this. I actually have been a customer of Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. If I still lived in Kentucky, I would be a customer again. I've been a customer twice. They did our kitchen and our master bathroom, and we were extremely happy both times, which is why I continue to recommend this business. I don't talk about businesses I don't fully believe in. If you're a do-it-yourselfer or a contractor, they also have cabinets in stock, very affordable, very, very high quality, and super cool styles that you can choose from. In fact, you'd be surprised at how many styles you can get already in stock. Just go to LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com and click on the Cabinets link, and you will see how incredible it can get. So Louisville Cabinets and Countertops, 502-930-3304, or LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com. If you're in southern Indiana, Louisville, or uh, Oldham County, that area, Shelby County, you need to give Louisville Cabinets and Countertops a call. Okay, do it right now. All right, well, let's get to our conversation with Congressman Thomas Massey. Welcome back, sir. How are you, Congressman Massey? Oh, I'm doing well. Um, I'm not a member of the executive branch, so I'm not getting the shot today. But, uh, <laughs> Biden has mandated <laughs> all government employees uh, get a shot. This is not a mandate that affects my office. Thank, thank God. So even your staff, you have the discretion to allow them to not have to get the vaccine, even though staff are considered, I guess, what would they be considered federal employees or how? Would well, um, if you listen very closely to his speech and, you know, I did, he said executive branch employees. Okay. So um, it does not affect the legislative branch. And I presume it, it probably doesn't affect the judicial branch. We have separation of powers. He cannot tell the legislative branch what to do. Now, uh, the the chief of the Capitol Hill police a few a couple months ago issued a, uh, an order that said he was going to arrest anybody that wasn't following the mask mandate. And with and within ten minutes of getting that letter in my inbox. I issued a statement that said, come and arrest us. We're all in my office right here, big guy. Uh, and none of us are wearing the stupid mask. So uh, I, we haven't been arrested. Uh, by the way, the, the legislative mandate only apply, applied on the House side. So I took a couple of my interns to the rotunda and and we we stepped across the imaginary line between the house and the senate so that they would be safe and they couldn't be arrested by the same capitol hill police that sent that letter that said they were going to arrest you on the house side that's hilarious i by, by the way something you said earlier where you said he was it didn't affect the legislature in a way though doesn't his decree yesterday completely bypass the legislature what what he decreed yesterday yeah. absolutely should have been legislative prerogative, should it not? There is no doubt that what he said is unconstitutional. There's no doubt in my mind. I think when it goes to the Supreme Court, I think it's going to be a 6-3 decision against him. I think even Roberts will um, understand and see the daylight on this one. Right. Uh, 
because that was the decision against his CDC eviction moratorium when he extended it. By the way, the, the, uh, the Department of Labor through OSHA, this is how he's trying to promulgate this rule and enforce it, uh, has no more authority to do this than the CDC had the authority to do the eviction moratorium right. that, that Trump initiated. President Trump was the one last fall or last winter who promulgated, who first promulgated the eviction moratorium where right. the CDC right. said, well, we're in charge of stopping viruses and we're worried that if people don't pay their rent and then they get evicted, that they will move somewhere and their movement will spread the virus. So we're going to issue an eviction moratorium. Right. And I said at the time, even though Trump was my president and in my party, I said, this is one of the most socialist things that's ever gone down in, in the history of this country. Right. And I opposed it instantly. And eventually the Supreme Court uh, ruled against it. I say eventually because their first ruling, Roberts and Kavanaugh wasn't with them because uh, it was about to expire this summer. And and Kavanaugh said, well, you know, it's it's illegal, but it's only going to happen for a little bit longer. So I'm not going to rule against it. We'll just let it run out. Right. And then when it ran out, Biden said, oh, well, I the constitutional scholars, i.e. the Supreme Court say it's illegal and unconstitutional, but I'm going to renew it because it'll take them a while to catch me through the courts. And so Biden renewed the eviction moratorium, and then the Supreme Court came back with force and six to three. Kavanaugh uh, didn't equivocate, and Roberts got on board, and, and, and I think it was six to three. They said uh, the difference, no, though, no let, let me let me play a little devil's advocate here, because I actually yeah. believe it's unconstitutional as well. But here's where the here's what they're hiding behind, because this one's going to be OSHA. Right. OSHA is going to be the yeah. uh, enforcement mechanism. So it's it's essentially almost a carbon copy of what they did with that. What you're just talking about. However, uh, 1970 Occupational Safety and Health Act says specifically the secretary shall provide without regard to the requirements of Chapter 5, Title 5, United States Code, whatever the heck that is, for an emergency temporary standard to take immediate effect upon publication in the Federal Register if he determines, A, that the employees are exposed to a, quote, grave danger and exposure to substances or agents determined to be toxic or physically harmful or from new hazards, and B, that such emergency standard is necessary to protect employees from such danger. Now, that, to me is what they're hiding behind. And I, I don't think that necessarily rises to the level of giving them the authority to do something as sweeping as this, because we're now, because what the line that they've crossed here is that there is now, um, you're now crossing into the territory of telling people, individuals, what they have to do that affects them outside of work, right? Like the vaccine doesn't just affect you in the workplace. It affects you outside of work. If it has negative effects, it'll affect you at work and outside of work. But that's, Maybe that's devil devil's advocate. That's what they're hiding behind. So, what, what are your what's your response to that? Well, my first response is you gave me an idea for another bill, which is to <laughs> repeal whatever that language is. There we go. Secretary. Okay, cool. I'm done with that <laughs> because it's it it does sound too broad, but 
uh, as you already alluded to, that was pretty weak devil's advocate there, I would say, Leo, because you were already <laughs> withering in your delivery. But, <laughs> I'm just trying to think it all the way through for people. I want people to – because you have to know where the other side is coming from. Right. Well, I, and I'm sure all that will come out in, in the uh, court rulings, but this is too broad. That you know, I, the and and as you said, you were already your, the devil's advocate to the devil's advocate when you said you could go home, right? And and it didn't affect you there. That sounds like a ruling that could apply to a mask, for instance. Right, right. By the at way, work. at work. By the way, they jumped. I, I always thought that. Biden would do like a nationwide mask mandate, then it would become a nationwide vaccine right, mandate. Right. He didn't go from A to B to C. He went from A to C. Right. And yeah. he just jumped right on them. Well, the you know, his patience mandate. is wearing thin. His patience. <laughs> I don't know if you saw my tweet as before his speech was over. And as soon as I heard that, he said, you know, we've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin. I tweeted, our patience is gone, Mr. President. Right. Like, I am. I have no patience left for you. Right. And and neither do the people. Right. This is ridiculous. Well, and, and, and I, so go ahead. I'm sorry. But to your point. But to your point, that you know, you could find a thread uh, to pull on in any of these regulations to try to justify things. I mean, the CDC had something right. that they were hanging their hat on, but when the Supreme Court looked at it, they they said this is not the legislative intent it doesn't really give you this much power right and and as you allude to the vaccine will affect you not just in your job it'll affect you outside of your job and long after you've left that job right well at this point then osha can decide that twinkies are illegal because if you put twinkies right. in the snack machine snack machine at work then, you know, your employees could get fat, but they also have access to those Twinkies everywhere else they go. So the danger of the virus isn't just at work. If I go to work and I'm exposed to the virus and, and that worries me, that's one thing. But if I go straight from work to a party, you, you know what I mean? Um, right. So, so that's where that's where the broadness of it comes in. But, you know, to your well, point, go ahead. And, and, and let's be clear. He hasn't yet issued the written directive and OSHA hasn't yet promulgated the rule. And so it's hard to attack something that doesn't exist yet. That IE his uh, the rule that OSHA will issue. He gave us a preview of coming attractions and mentioned that there would be 75 days in order to comply. I Leland, I think he is, He's doing a bluff right now. He's trying to, you know, he yeah. mentioned that Disney and some other corporations have already incorporated the policy that he's going to force. Right. Um, and he encouraged more companies to do it. You, We can't sue him. We can't get an injunction until he actually does it. Right, right. And, and until somebody has standing, until somebody has been harmed by the the issuance of their rule from OSHA. So I think they're actually going to insert a little bit of time here. Well, doesn't no. doesn't that timeline actually show that this is ridiculous? In 75 days, the only variant in America will be completely vaccine um, immune. 
because right. it'll be the it'll be the move variant by 75 75 because all the all the research i've seen is that the delta variant has already peaked and it's already on its way down hospitalizations are on their way down nationwide not in some you know in some spots they're still going up but it, it as a whole hospitalizations are going down uh, cases are going down, which, by the way, has to happen because they're either we're we're at herd immunity or there's a whole lot of BS going on. But um, that on 75 days from now, the move variant is going to be what we're all talking about, and your vaccine isn't going to matter because it's vaccine resistant. That's right, and and just let me remind your listeners, I haven't taken the vaccine, and I'm not going to take the vaccine. Not because I don't think it's effective and and might be helpful for older people, um, but because I'm not taking the vaccine because I have already had COVID. Right. I had an antibody test. It showed I had a robust immune response. By the way, the antibody, the last antibody test I had showed nothing, didn't show a, a, a positive amount of antibodies that would. So. But I'm not worried about that because I've got the T cell immunity and the broad right. immunity. For they were just testing for spike antibodies. I've got you know right. antibodies to the material and the nucleus of the virus. Blah blah blah. So I'm not taking it. And and at least half, I think at least half of Americans are in the situation, same situation as I am, which is you've already yeah. had this virus, and because of that what's been conferred to you is an immunity that's better than that's, any vaccine. That's, why I, ever that's why I question some of the raw numbers, like the way the media is portraying this. Um, like for instance, mm-hmm. for instance, with kids, what you always see in the headline is that the percentage of kids in the hospital has gone up. They don't say the number of kids in the hospital. They say the percentage of kids. Well, that makes sense, right? Because basically about 85 to 90% of people over the age of 65 are vaccinated. Over 70% of the people age 50 and up are vaccinated. And over half of the people age 25 and up are vaccinated, which means that whoever's left to, to be even potentially exposed to the virus is a very small pool of people. And the majority of them are under 12 years old because we don't know if it's safe for people under 12 years old. So, that, like, 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 so that's why they say percentage, because when you take half the pie away and then you divide up the rest of the half of the pie, you're obviously going to have a, a bigger percentage if the same piece of pie size is the same as it was before you ate half of it. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it does. It does. And and so there are roughly four and a half million people in the state of Kentucky, the Commonwealth of Kentucky, where you once lived and I still live and love and represent. Um do you know how many children under the age of 10 have have died with COVID? I'm not saying because of COVID, but with COVID in the state of Kentucky, which has four and a half million residents. I don't know. What, what is that number? Do you know? One. One child under the age of 12, you say? Under the age of 10. Has died and then, of COVID over throughout the course of the two years. And that's why right, we're taking with, away their ability to actually right. learn how to uh, see co- social cues from fa- facial recognition yeah. uh, because one child has died. With COVID. I didn't say of COVID. I right. said with COVID. Right. And then under the age of 20, now let's include that one uh, that was under 10. So all, all people ages 0 to 20 in the state of Kentucky who died with COVID is 2. See, but that's the point. This is all this is all theater. It's all it's about it's about obedience. 
and I'm not I'm not minimizing those two. No, deaths. not at all. But but <clears throat> I guarantee you that on on a regular basis we would have lost more children than that from the flu because the flu is much more dangerous to children, and we don't make them mask up every year. It, we've lost more children to that in school bus crashes on average in the state of Kentucky. You pick any uh, metric that they measure: the flu, automobile accidents, uh, cancer. Uh, pick anything that can afflict children, and we lose more children to that affliction than we do to COVID. Yet we're they're, they're trying to change everything about how school is taught and how people attend in, in, in school in the state of Kentucky because of this. Right. Well, the- so it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. And I, by the way, just just getting back to the details of Joe Biden's executive order, we don't have the details. And so we don't know if he's making accommodations for prior infection that's conferred natural immunity, which the studies from Israel, depending on how you measure it, are 13 to 27 times better, more efficacious than a vaccine. And again, I'm not arguing go get the virus instead of the vaccine. I'm saying if you've already had the virus, you you honestly don't need, in my opinion, I'm not a doctor. I gotta throw all these disclaimers in here. Right. Or you or you will get secondhand hate and I'll get the first hand hate. Uh, I'm gonna get it um, anyway, I don't care. Um <laughs> uh, that you you don't need a vaccine if you have confirmed an immune response to the uh, uh prior infection of the virus. And it's also long lasting. Right. Um, I don't know how long it will last. For me, it's lasted 18 months at least, and we'll see. Which is longer than they say the vaccine lasts because they think maybe less than six months at this point. That's why they're talking about two, boosters right now. Right, and um, <laughs> three people very close to me, by, by, by very close, I mean people that I'm in contact with almost every day have contracted the virus and in the in the last six months or eight months, one of them quarantined in my house, and I did not contract the virus, whatever right. uh, strain they had. Right. right. Um, and then uh, two of them were vaccinated. Wow! So and got, and got the virus. Yeah, in, I saw an in anecdotal August. tweet yesterday from somebody who said, "I have a I have over a hundred employees. In the last year, six of them have gotten COVID." Two were unvaccinated, four were vaccinated. Uh, and that's obviously uh, yeah. anecdotal, but it, it makes one wonder because I, let's look at Israel, for instance. Israel is the most vaccinated country in the world, and yet they're having an explosion of cases. If 90% of the, the state of Israel is vaccinated, then the only way to explain that they are now back where they were when they started this whole process is that the vaccine is not effective long term because that that's because otherwise you'd only have 10 percent of the population and israel's not a big country so an explosion of people getting it in in israel that would overrun their health system would have to be much bigger than 10 percent of the population as a pool of people to go from the the last number that i saw from israel 60 percent of the of the hospitalizations were vaccinated okay now that's i don't that's yeah i don't i can't I can't provide you with a uh, a confirmation on like a that. So that, that yeah, that's my disclaimer. 
But well, I'll um, Google it real quick while you're think think about this, Leland. The um, when they when they produce these statistics in the United States, and they say percent uh, vaccinated in our hospitals versus percent unvaccinated. Right. Okay. I hear your keyboard clicking. Yep. I hope They're you're here. still listening to me. Leland. No, I am. I'm listening. I'm listening. I can do two things at once. That's what makes me awesome. I don't. I know. I, okay, I so, so this is too. this I is. Hope um, you fed your dog this morning. Not yet, dude. You got me up early by Mountain Time standards. So no, I have not fed my dog yet. That's on you. If he barks again, okay. that's on you. I found a source. I don't know how um, proper this is. It's Becker's mm-hmm. Hospital Review. Uh, they have the headline, nearly 60% of hospitalized COVID-19 patients in Israel fully vaccinated data shows of 514 patients in Israel. See, there, there's 514 Israel-wide that are hospitalized. So that still tells you that even with the Delta variant, it's still a very small fraction of people who get the virus who even get hospitalized to begin with. Um, right, because Israel's on, on the order, the same population as, say, Kentucky, Maybe it's uh, bigger, but not more than twice as big. And the source, the source on 59% were fully vaccinated is science.org. Um, well, that sounds like a real legitimate. Yeah. It's not like science.news.daily.com. Yeah, and here, here's, the, here's actually the headline. A grim warning from Israel. Vaccination blunts, but does not defeat Delta. So there you okay. go. Okay, so... Let me talk about how they report that percentage in the United States. They, in, in order to be counted as fully vaccinated, you have to be 14 days post your second injection. Okay. And um, the, by the way, and I read the Pfizer trial data 10 times, and I read it forward and I read it backwards. Not They didn't release at all, but everything they gave to the FDA that the FDA released, I read. 10 times the primary efficacy point for the the vaccine when pfizer did the trial was seven days after your second shot okay and now they only count 14 days after your second shot when they report so what i mean this raises the question for me why are they counting the people who get covid between the seventh and 14th day as uh, after their second shot as unvaccinated right when the Pfizer trial was based on seven days post second shot and the Pfizer trial data showed that when they used that seven days post second shot it was 95 percent efficacious at reducing all symptoms right this is the goes the goalposts have moved in two regards one they've moved from seven days to 14 days post second injection and number two they've moved from any any symptom to hospitalization or death right but the trial was not based uh the efficacy numbers not based on hospitalization or death it's based on any symptom right with uh (laughs) in the and so and it's based on seven days so one of so here are the two things well, let me give you the most innocent interpretation of why they went to 14 days from seven days. I think it's because uh, either the J&J trial or the Moderna trial used 14 days, not seven days. And they're just trying to, just want to be homogenize. Yeah. yeah, they're trying to report it the same 
regardless of which vaccine you took. That makes, um, that that's, makes sense. Yeah. That's possible and likely, but let me tell you something else that's possible. Um, there's, it's possible there are a lot of people who took the, the Pfizer uh, both shots and they got infected uh, between the 7th and 14th day and they're being reported as unvaccinated. Right. Which, is, which would be wrong. There's something else um, a little more sinister that's possible, which is um, they're, they're trying to exclude people who have an adverse effect and become from the vaccine and become hospitalized or die between the 7th and 14th day. When are the, the adverse effects happening? Typically, I think, oh, again, Leland, like you said, I have to use the word anecdotal. Right. Sure. But we're relying on anecdotal evidence because it's it because we know this. I know the CDC is lying. Mm -hmm. I have them on the phone. I have phone recordings. Right. Back when they would take my phone calls in December of 2020, January of 2021 of them telling me things and then not doing them. Right. Like that they this knew their data on cases, right? Right. They they knew that the way they were reporting the Pfizer trial data was incorrect, misleading, et cetera, right. et cetera. And they said they would fix it. And by the way, they never had. Right. They never have. So um, so I know they're lying. So I have to rely on anecdotal information. For instance, the people that I know firsthand, the people that I talk to who've right. got the, the both uh, vaccination shots and then later contracted COVID. But anecdotally, I know of two people that died of blood clots. Yeah. Uh, after getting the vaccination. Wow. wow. And that was, uh, that was in my in my congressional district. OK. And then the other thing that's happening, too, is the myocarditis is happening to a lot. Uh, not I mean, a, a small fraction of people who get the vaccine, but it's a still. A, well, and, then, and it's for younger people that are getting that. Well, I know, and, and then in my congressional district, I know of a nurse who was pressured into taking the vaccine. She didn't want to, and she had an adverse reaction and um, had to, you know, have time off from work, and she's come out publicly and talked about it. And, it, uh, you know, the, the doctor, four of the five doctors who visited her said that it was because of the vaccine. And then I, I wait. So those are three. Those are three stories from my congressional district. Right. Is there right. is there a is there truly a problem with hospital space shortage, or is it because they're firing nurses that are refusing to get the vaccine and they don't have the staff to deal with it? When they report uh, the capacity, they're talking uh, in ICU or hospital beds. They're talking about the staffed capacity. Right. They're not talking about a hospital that has two hundred beds, but only enough. Uh, people to, to attend a hundred right. and the media makes it look like if you were to drive by a hospital there'd be beds sitting outside because they can't get everybody in the building and there and by and again let me insert the disclaimer it, it's different regionally yeah i don't doubt sure. that there are parishes in in louisiana that were overwhelmed for a while and and I, there is a doctor in kentucky again this anecdotal information who who I know personally who's concerned about the capacity in one of the counties. But um, if you look at the overall capacity, what they do is they'll go out and they'll pick one county 
or a region of one state, and then they'll report that as if that's happening all over the United States, but it's not. Well, and it's interesting, too. They also report it as they, they want it to be political. So they're like, areas that supported Trump are getting the vet, are getting the virus. Well, that's actually, actually, if you really dive into it, the places that are struggling are places that have a lot of people who have those sort of preconditions that lend itself. Well, um, if let's you, get if back. You, if you have a lot, high level of obesity, you have a high level diabetes, you have a high level of blood pressure, high blood pressure issues, then the, you have a high level of people getting problems with this vac- virus. Yeah, you, let's instance, go back to Yeah, look at the. There's also something else that's going on. There, if you look at the cumulative deaths with COVID in New York and New Jersey, and compare those to any state, right? Uh, like Kentucky, Florida. Texas, like they'll say, oh, there's an epidemic in Florida, there's an epidemic in Texas, there's an epidemic in Kentucky. If you look at the cumulative deaths with COVID or hospitalizations, it's still almost twice as high in New York and New Jersey. Right. But that's higher population. Is it per capita? No, per capita. Okay. Per capita. Sorry. uh, I meant to say per capita. And so now if if you had a more a contagious version of the disease, you would es- expect the areas who have less prior uh, immunity from prior infection mm-hmm. would be afflicted more. Right. I'm, I am willing to bet that the city of New York has a pretty high level of, um, I won't call it herd immunity, but immunity from prior infection. I mean, it went through there like a wildfire. Right. And uh, and a lot of people were exposed before they had even defined what the virus was or where it came from. Or yeah, uh, and so of course you're going to expect the areas who don't have prior immunity to be affected more by a a more contagious version of the virus. I think it's got very little to do with vaccination status. And more to do with prior immunity due to exposure by the virus. If 80 million people are unvaccinated, these 80 million people that the president declared war on, these 80 million people (laughs) that the president said the rest of the country's patience is wearing thin. And by the way, I tweeted out yesterday. I said, you know, 80 million people is an enormous number of people to try to pose your will upon. And by the way. And and I just want to make this point. I also mentioned, I said, you know, these 80 million people aren't just your average run-of-the-mill 80 million people. For whatever personal reasons, they have withstood a year and a half of enormous public social pressure, private pressure, corporate pressure, (laughs) media pressure, insults from the media, derogatory, defamatory statements from the media. Uh, things being made up about them by the media. They've, they've, they've somehow resisted all of that pressure over the last year and a half, and suddenly Biden thinks another clumsily scripted speech is going to make them go, oh, wait, Biden pulled the car over. Now we have to start doing what he says, right? <laughs> they, haven't, they haven't definitively changed anything in their approach, and yet they expect us to convince these 80 million people to just go out and line up and get the poke? I mean, seriously, that you have you have a situation where these people have defied this for eight for, for 10 months now, and suddenly it's going to get better without changing anything? This is My question is, what are these 80 million people's reaction to this going to be? I don't think it's going to be pretty. Go ahead. Sorry. 
<laughs> There's so much to unpack there, but let me unpack some of it. You said Biden pulled the car over, you know, on MSNBC and, and the other uh, liberal outlets. They were cheering for Biden because he got mad and they said he's like the dad who's like, I'm going to pull the car over. I'm going to turn this car around. Yeah, I feel like he's more like the, the senile old guy that walks out on his porch and waves his fist. Hey, and says, get off, my, get lawn. off my lawn. Yeah. Yeah, 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 he's definitely it's, that guy. He's not, uh, he's not monotone. Uh, he's, he's got a tone, but his only tone is angry old man, get off my lawn. Yeah, uh, it's almost universal con- with him. He's never contrite when he needs to be contrite. He's never happy. He's never hopeful. He's just this. He's got one voice, and it's angry man, get off my lawn. Yeah. Okay. Now. I had to unpack that when you said he's pulling over the car. I don't. Hopefully, this I man something is not I, right. No, I. I it's something I saw liberals saying on Twitter yesterday, yeah. and I was like, "Oh, come yeah, right. on, you idiots!" I saw it too, so I wanted to unpack that for your listeners. And let's let's hope he literally does not drive a car. He would get lost if he if Biden drove that. a car, he'd be an Ohio driver in the left hand lane. Enough said. Oh my gosh! Yes, it's always Ohio. <laughs> It'd be a nineteen eighty nine Buick. Driving, driving slow in the left-hand lane on I-75. That's that's what Biden's car would be. Yeah, or I-71 or I-64. It's always Ohio tags in yes. Kentucky that are in that left lane. That's why when I that's why I, when I'm governor, I'm building a big, beautiful wall between Kentucky and Ohio, and <laughs> nobody's getting in unless they have a special permission. And there'll be a big, beautiful gate in Cincinnati, and we'll only let the people that have passed the driving test in from Ohio. So. Well, right, they'll get counseling. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And it'll say Kentucky drivers only in the left lane. Right. You do not. You abuse this lane. <laughs> yeah. it, okay. Let me go back to unpacking what you said. The 80 million people who have survived the the enormous insults. social pressure. Yeah. You know. You know what? Let me talk about who's in that category. There are a lot of pregnant women and women trying to conceive. Yeah. Good who point. are in that 80 million? If I, I saw a statistic, there's also a lot of minorities out. that are traditionally not and for good re- Americans. Yeah. And for good reason, not very trustful of the so, government sticking so, needles in their arm. So Biden has declared war on on black Americans and pregnant women who, who uh, disproportionately comprise that 80 million. <laughs> By the way, and myself, I want to I want to like associate with that group of 80 million. But. Here's what he's done. I and I tweeted this. He he is the politician with this new workplace vaccine mandate who has discouraged more women of childbearing age from working than any other politician in the history of this country. Right. I have women reaching out to me that are in nursing school and they've got one more semester left and their school has mandated the vaccine and they are pregnant. Right. And they're like, I just wanted to get a career so I could provide for my a child that I'm expecting. And I'm going to have to drop out of school well, because I don't want to expose this child to a vaccine for which there are no long-term studies. You can't have a baby at warp speed. Right. Let's it takes nine months. And then I had a woman correct me. It's 40 weeks. She said, right. I've right. carried a few. <laughs> she said, so 40 weeks, let's not <laughs> let's be very specific on average, 40 weeks. But 
and then I also have uh, pregnant women who've contacted me. These are constituents. These are not apocryphal stories from some other state who have left their jobs or are going to leave their jobs. And they're forced with deciding between uh, uh, providing for their child that's going to be born, giving them a better life because they're going to make income or taking this vaccine, which is, has n the long-term studies on infants who were born to mothers who took the vaccine are not done. It's not possible. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything bad that could happen, but, until we know this is not how you approve a drug you do right. not say well we don't have any evidence that it's unsafe so we're going to prove it no you have to have evidence that it is safe right and th this is how we ended up with the the babies i think it was thalamide uh, who uh, were born without arms they had flippers yeah instead of arms and it was it was horrible. This this happened, by the way, mostly in Europe because the FDA never approved that drug. Right. Uh, but it was still it was still given out in the United States because but doctors me, had it for free. Let me use this because I know you have a hard time out here in a couple. Yeah. Minutes, and, and I want to use this to, to bounce to a, a little bit more of a macro scope of this, because we've been in the weeds on the vaccine mandate now for a while but here's my question why is there such a singular focus on the vaccine as a way of fighting this if you bring up the possibility of therapeutics they're almost not talked about in the media i know there's some research being done on them but certain yeah. therapeutics are referred to as horse medicine which is also mm -hmm. horse crap um but why is there such a singular focus? Because that's what makes me think this isn't about fighting the virus. We're talking about a virus that still only kills less than a half percent of the people that it infects. OK, that's not to minimize any of those deaths. I'm just saying there are a lot of other things a lot more dangerous than this virus. Why the singular focus on the vaccine if it's not about obedience? It is about obedience. By the way, there's only one vaccine right now that's approved uh, by the FDA. Right. So it's a singular focus on a, a singular vaccine. So why the big is, why why the push? What is behind this push for obedience? If it's about obedience and not about health, what's driving this, in your opinion? <laughs> uh, I I do not. I do not know. Uh, I can't because there's two there's two ways that people act as human beings, right? Either there's there's someone behind the scenes pulling the strings, seeing that this is an opportunity to test the waters at just how collective we've become, or there's the viral effect <laughs> of we have power and we just don't want to let it go, right? Like it could be that's the less sinister of the two. The less sinister of the two is you just have a bunch of people who've really enjoyed being in the limelight, a la Dr. Fauci. And as soon as as soon as they complete their task of destroying the vaccine, their importance <laughs> and relevance to society is over and they don't want that to go away. Look, let me give you the least sinister interpretation of motives that I can come up with. And by the way, it's getting harder and harder <laughs> yeah. to ascribe these good intentions to anybody now at this point but let me give you the least sinister for instance so the, the the big 
incongruity that I can't resolve is why won't they recognize natural immunity? That's the one yeah. where I'm just like, this makes no sense, even for chicken pox. Right. This is recognized in the military and in schools. If you've already had chicken pox, it's not as if it's any harder to do than some of the things they're proposing right now in terms of enforcement. Right. So so here's the least sinister. They they know the least sinister is they know the PCR test is unreliable. And they they know that a lot of people will not even test and they'll think, well, I, I had covid. So I don't need the vaccine. So in the beginning, the the uh, you know the most charitable interpretation of their lack of science that I could uh, ascribe to them was that they don't trust you to know if you had COVID or not, and they're worried that you'll think you had COVID and you won't get the vaccine. So they're just going to tell everybody to take the vaccine. Yeah whether you need it or not, and that'll be the easiest way to wallpaper over the people who think they had COVID that didn't. Mm. And I and I and I tried to maintain that charitable interpretation of their intentions for as long as it could. But it is no longer possible. We have antibody tests that can show uh and by the way, there's there's false negatives, but there's not uh, many false positives for the antibody test. Right, right. They might show some kind of cross reactivity with another coronavirus, but if that's true, then then that immunity probably is cross reactive to the actual COVID nineteen virus. Yeah, that you are. You know that used to be discussed. Well, if you so, I can't. I can no longer, Leland, ascribe a charitable uh interpretation for their motives i can no longer do that they are so blind to the science not by the science but so blind to the science they're so willfully ignorant of the science that uh they need to be some of them need to be prosecuted some of them need to be discharged of their duties because they are uh against public health right now at the CDC and Dr. Fauci and, there, and Joe Biden. Is there anybody in particular you think should be prosecuted? Oh, a whole, a whole slew of people. I mean, at the I, CDC. I think Fa- did, did Fauci not lie under oath? I thought it was interesting that Saki oh, yeah, went out yeah. of her way. That Saki went out of her way yesterday in the pre-press conference briefing to state that he wasn't lying when he said there was no gain of function research when they've been busted red-handed. Um, having funded gain of function research like that right there is a prosecutable offense. He lied to Senator Paul. He's still lying, right? He hasn't, he's not issued a mea culpa or sorry. I didn't know. He's not even claiming ignorance at this point. He's still lying. Right. Until, and unless, and Which, until, by the way, if, if he's still your main p- spokesperson, people see that he's lying. I'm sorry. Right there tells you, this is why people don't trust the government. This is why. And by the way, with the 80 million people who haven't been vaccinated, we're we're taking that on somebody's authority. I think that's a lie. I think there's a lot more than 80 million. Well, it, it doesn't match the numbers I've seen either. I mean, well, yeah, because they say that's 52 percent of American adults have been vaccinated, which is means there's a lot more than 80 million people that. So so when they're trying to minimize the group of, of which I belong to in which I belong, which is the 80, they say 80 million. They say 
they probably, if you read the fine print, say, haven't had at least one shot, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But then when they count the number who are vaccinated who are in the hospital, well, you had to have two shots and a booster and be right. 90 days out from all of that to be counted as vaccinated. Like if you if you counted that number, it it's around 50 percent. Well, I think, so how do they get to 50, 80 million is not 50 percent of the United States. I think that ties into the fact, though, that the statement our patience is weighing thin was was a very carefully written, purposeful statement. When my mom used to say my patience is wearing thin, that was a threat. That's what that was. You knew something that was coming next wasn't going to be fun. And that's that's the thing. That was an incitement statement. It was designed to incite. It was designed to incite those who are collectivists who've bought into this to continue to hate those who have legitimate questions. It was a deliberately divisive, insightful threat. That's what it was. I uh, I completely agree with you. By the way, I tried to tweet that, and Twitter would not allow me to tweet it. Really? Um, I, I started taking a videotape of my phone. Like, I don't know if Twitter just <laughs> malfunctioned. <laughs> And then, and then I took the incitement statement out, and it still wouldn't let me tweet. So I started videotaping my phone of me trying to tweet it. I said, Twitter's not working right now. Do you want to try again? And for 15 minutes, I tried to tweet that uh, this is an invitation, or, or I tried to tweet, Biden has invited civil disobedience. Yes. Which, and, which, is uh, what, which is what he and the left have been accusing Trump of doing for the last year and a half. Yes. And... I don't know. And then if I took that out and it still wouldn't tweet. I was saying it was unconstitutional and he's invited civil disobedience. So I thought, OK, Twitter's got some algorithm. That well, says I'm trying someone to- said yesterday, I can't remember which reporter, but there was a reporter yesterday that said that the Department of Homeland Security created task force prior to this speech yesterday to monitor uh, talk of revolt, revolution, um, anything like that. That tells you right there that they knew the speech was going to be divisive and they intended it to be divisive. I don't know if you can confirm that the DHS had teams that were monitoring uh, Twitter communication or social media communication after this, but that's what was reported yesterday. Well, I recorded it on my phone. And by the way, it shut my, phone, my Twitter down on my phone and I had to get my staff yeah. to tweet something for me. Because my Twitter just shut down. If it's true that the Department of Homeland Security set up task force ahead of this speech, deliberately designed to watch people's reaction to it on social media and track that reaction, then the president deliberately intended to essentially issue a threat to 80 million Americans and to incite division. Wait, 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 wait. 180 million Americans, I'm going to say. Right. Well, and there's also a lot of vaccinated people that... I've seen so many people yesterday tweeting, hey, I wish I could take my vaccine out just so I could defy this, which, again, if you're trying to be a leader, I I'm just gonna make this very clear. I'm not anti-vaccine in any way, shape or form. If you're trying to get people unified behind something, then you talk to them. You 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 encourage deliberation and debate. You don't threaten and cajole them and insult them. This is the exact opposite of what leaders do. And it's the very thing that's driving people's questions behind it. And it's legitimate. You know what I mean? I agree. I agree. I, I, I'm, I I would like to tell you I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not a theorist. I'm not a theorist because I, I actually am privy to some of these conspiracies being yeah. a, a member of the government who gets to look behind the curtain. Yeah. 
I know so, you got to go, man. I, I don't. I don't want to say I'm a theorist, but I. Uh, I am looking for, I'm trying to understand why he did this. I thought about myself trying to organize some act of protest right. to what he did. But can you imagine if I invited a bunch of people to DC, there would there'd yeah. be yeah. so many uh, provocateurs who uh, are trying to use this to their advantage. Yeah. Yeah. Like on January 6th, I believe that happened. Yeah. So how, would i complete that so it's a it's the a damned if you do damned if you don't situation right. well and i think they know that and i but yeah anyway all right you gotta go man i appreciate it yeah. um it's been an interesting conversation at the least i can't say i feel better about things but <laughs> <laughs> at least we got stuff off our chest appreciate it very much thanks and have a great day okay bud all right thanks Leon. All right, talk to you later safe. brother all right yeah and i, I again i want to make it very clear i am not anti-vaccine i think the vaccine is a miracle of modern science and free markets that was presided over by president trump and the very same people that are telling you to take it now are the ones that said because it was presided over by president trump they wouldn't trust it go back and look that up that's true um but and, and again i'm not anti-vaccine and in fact i've recommended it to certain members of my family you have to make your own decision what i am what i am anti is mandate i am anti the government telling you that you have to put a needle in your arm um, I am anti-authoritarianism, and that is what I am anti. Um, so it, it just just kind of going over a little bit of this. I, I I wrote this yesterday. Well, I already told you about that, but anyway, the point is the point is the point is when my mother used to say that my patience is wearing thin, it was a threat. There was something coming after that. So just let that sink in. And I, if if it's true, and I saw the report yesterday, and it was on Twitter, ironically, that uh, the Department of Homeland Security had, prior to this speech, set up task forces to monitor domestic social media chatter after this speech. It means that they knew prior to this speech that the words that were going to be said in that speech were going to be divisive and not unifying. And that they were going to be insightful. And I think he was insightful. I think he was inciting his own followers to continue to hate those who have legitimate questions about the virus. And I think he I think he knew. Well, I don't know if he knew or not. But 80 million people is a lot of people to try to enforce your will upon. And that's 80 million people who have thus far endured an enormous amount of insult and social pressure and not changed their mind. So what happened yesterday was never going to change anyone's mind. And that's pathetic because that is pathetic, disgusting, awful leadership. So there you have my thoughts on this. All right. Big thanks to our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops, for helping make this podcast possible. Uh, their support um, uh, their support is super important, and we appreciate them very much. And by the way, if you're getting ready to redo your kitchen, man, if you're, if you're thinking, hey, I want my dream kitchen. I want that kitchen I've always wanted. It'll make your house a home. Call my buddy uh, Tim Montgomery at Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. Actually, better yet, call Michelle Kelly or George, his designers on staff. That's what they do is make people's dream kitchens come true. You can check them out at LouisvilleCabinetsandCountertops.com. They did our kitchen in Kentucky before we sold our home there. We actually enjoyed it for several years. It was beautiful. They put in quartz countertops. They fixed an ugly island, made it beautiful. We entertained in the home. It was so awesome, and it was beautiful when you walked in, and I'm pretty sure that's the reason the house sold in less than a day. 
Um, never been sorry that I used Louisville cabinets and countertops. And then we used them on our master bath too. So if I go back to a, a company a second time, that means I really love their service. And uh, so I highly recommend them to you. If you're a do-it-yourselfer or a contractor, they've also got cabinets in stock, affordable, super high quality, all kinds of styles ready for you to take to your project right now. 6200 Hit Lane, if you're in Louisville, Oldham County, uh, Southern Indiana, this is your place, 502-930-3304, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. Download us for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. That'll have uh, fresh new episodes delivered straight to your pocket. Please give us a high-level review. That helps spread the word uh, on uh, Apple. They put the, the phone, they put the podcast out. They advertise it to people more often when you give it five-star reviews. If they think think you like it they're going to put it out for other people to listen so that'll spread the word follow us on twitter it's at leland show and at zone disruption and on instagram it's at greatly londo and at the disruption zone thank you guys for listening i appreciate you everyone thanks to dynamics audio productions in lexington kentucky horse capital of the world uh, for their audio support of this program i'm leland conway the disruption zone